0: So, if you have your Bibles, we're in First Timothy chapter chapter one verses five through eleven, and uh, let's go ahead and just uh, read the text once again, and uh, we will get started. First Timothy chapter one verses five through eleven. Give me a moment to get there. Appreciate y'all getting out tonight in the weather. All right, chapter five, verse uh, verse. Sorry, chapter 1 and verse 5. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 5. If you've never memorized this chapter, it's a great chapter to memorize. Uh, the whole book of First Timothy is a great uh, book to memorize. But verse 5 says, Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience, and a faith unfeigned." from which some having swerved have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly, and for sinners, for <clears throat> for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to my trust, and that's where we're going to stop for tonight. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the singing. Uh, great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto us. We're so thankful for the blessed uh, voice that you've given to our and to lead us tonight. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the ministry of the Apostle Paul uh, to um, the church at Ephesus, to um, uh, Timothy, his disciple, his son, and the Lord, as we've already covered. We pray, God, a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. As we look into the text tonight, we pray, God, that you would encourage us uh, in, the, in the ministry of prayer. Lord, that is why we are here tonight. We pray a blessing on the opportunity to pray for your saints. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Timothy chapter uh, chapter 5, or chapter one, chapter 5, forgive me for that, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. Now, let me get to my notes here. We've already seen that our relationship with the law is to be loving. Uh, that was our thesis because the law is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, we also saw it is to be the our relationship to the law is to be lawful because the law is still useful in leading sinners to Christ. And so that's what we saw in uh, verse one and verse five. And now we're in verses uh six through ten, which we just read. And uh our thesis tonight is our relationship to the law should be loving because the law was fulfilled in Christ. And so uh so we've already seen that it was useful in leading sinners to Christ, but the law is also useful in um <clears throat> And, uh, and I'm sorry, the, the law should be loving because it, it, the law is fulfilled in Christ. And so our relationship with the law should be lawful because the law is still useful in leading sinners to Christ. Uh, that's point, that is our second point. So the law is not bad if we use it lawfully. Now if you go back and look in verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, "...from which uh, some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm." So the law is not bad if we use it lawfully, and lawfully is the the blank there. The fact that people didn't understand how to use the law was not the law's fault, right? I fought the law, and the law won. It wasn't the law's fault fault the law hadn't done anything wrong it was to those who misused it because of impure hearts that manifested the ignorance of the law they couldn't teach the law because they were ignorant of the law's purpose and so these these may have been like those who were puffed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through, through 3 is knowledge can puff up but it's charity uh, that builds up Right And so Paul, Paul could, uh, could speak authoritatively on who understood the law because he was an expert in both the law of God and the love of Christ. The law of God just frustrated Paul didn't it? It just made him, it just made him full of all concupiscence, right He was a man that was uh, you know he could not uh, reform himself, but the love of Christ changed Paul from the inside out. so he was an expert on both the law and the love of Christ. Uh, he was an enemy. He says, "I'm not even worthy to be an apostle in Corinthians." Right. Because, well, he wasn't. I mean, but yet God made him an apostle as Doug spoke this morning by the grace of God. Right. I am what I am. Like Popeye said. And so and so Paul understood that was the love of Christ. So point B, Christians should understand the proper use of the law. Now, as you go down into verse eight, it says, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that's contrary to sound doctrine, right, teaching, um and in verse 11, of course, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So so the law, a Christian should understand the proper use of the law. Paul says, we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So he's referring to, to leading the sinner to Christ. It's good to lead people to, to Christ. We need, need to know how to use the law properly, right? Because the law can also condemn, can't it? Right? In, in the context of... Uh, of uh, our legal system that's what we think about with the law the law if we obey the law there's no problem but once we break the law well now you, you can be in trouble you are you know if you get caught in the law then is something that can be used to condemn us and I, ideally right the law will lead us back to uh, obedience but it's it's a manifestation it's made for the sinner if nobody broke the law you wouldn't need a law if it wasn't for our sinful nature, there wouldn't be a need for the law. But uh, he's referring here to using the law lawfully. So Paul cites point C, five of the Ten Commandments as an example. Uh, the fifth commandment uh, in Exodus 20, and verse 12, is honor, father, and mother. The sixth commandment is Exodus twenty, twelve through thirteen, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. The seventh commandment is Exodus twenty and verse fourteen, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods, his wife, nor commit adultery. The eighth commandment is Exodus twenty and verse fifteen, thou shalt not steal. The ninth commandment is Exodus twenty sixteen, thou shalt not bear false witness. And so um, We've been teaching, Pat Lee has been teaching and, and Jeremy on Wednesday night about IGO. And uh, it's imperative that evangelism is intentional in our lives, else we'll not disi- uh, disciple it into other people. I mean, we have to make sure that we're discipling um, the, the, uh, the the Word of God in a way that evangelism is part of what we do. And so Paul is talking about using the law lawfully. There's a, If you guys have ever seen... Um, Who's that, who's that cat that does the law? That little short guy was Jewish and got saved out of California. You know what I'm talking about? Ray Comfort, yeah. Uh, Ray Comfort, they, they, that's his, his kind of shtick. He likes to take the law and, and, and help sinners see their need for the Savior. Because everybody's like, I'm a good person. He's like, oh, really? Yeah, have you ever? You know, Have you ever had a lustful thought? Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? I mean, he just goes right down uh, all those things. And uh, have you ever lied? No, I've never lied. Well, you're lying right now, right? And so, you know, and then he contrasts that against the holy God. God is holy and he's true and, and he's righteous. And so uh, and so he uses the law for what his purpose is, which is to bring people to Christ. If you don't, if you just leave them there, God's holy and that's the end of the story, then you're done. You're cooked. Your goose is cooked, and there's no way. But because of the love of Christ, right, you can be reconciled to him. So there is a way to use the law lawfully. And as we think about being intentional in our gospel outreach, it's important that we keep that in mind. So uh, Ray Comfort, if I looked at my notes, I have it written here. Ray Comfort has several of those Way of the Master videos, uh, and they demonstrate practical ways to show someone they are a sinner using the law and leading them to Christ uh, as a solution for sin. And so, uh, and we've taught that here among other methods, and those are methods, right? That's not the only method, Uh, but it's a good one. Uh, And I know Ray is a uh, uh, Calvinist and all of that, but, you know, hey, uh, at least he's out trying to win people to Christ, a lot more than a lot of, of other people, so we praise the Lord. So any honest person knows that they've broken the law of God. I mean, you can't be honest with yourself, and definitely before God be honest, if you don't know that you've broken the law. The idea is not to legislate morality, um, for once you are guilty, there must be a sacrifice, right? And so uh, that is the, that's the real issue. What does the law teach us? Well, uh, there's got to be a sacrifice. The sacrificial system appears in the law. Right? That was in the Old Testament, it was the way of covering sin. In the New Testament, it's the way of cleansing us from sin. Because the sacrifice is better. The whole book of Hebrews deals with Jesus Christ being a better priest, a better sacrifice, uh, all of the things. He is so much better uh, than the law. He's the fulfillment of the law. He's the author of the law. He is in the beginning before the law, right? And so Jesus Christ uh, is the one who covers, not just covers our sin, he cleanses us of our sin. So the only acceptable sacrifice that we have to handle the law is Jesus, and so you might ask, since we're kind of in a more advanced class here tonight, uh, you know, some might ask, well, then why in the millennium do we need to go back and do sacrifices? Isn't that a curious thing? Why, if Jesus is our sufficiency, and he is, and he is the supreme sacrifice, and he is, and his sacrifice cleanses us and not just covers us, then why would we go back in the millennium? Why, why would God administrate the world government uh, in a way uh, that people have to take and go back and do the sacrifices of the law? That's a good question. Does anybody know? To prove that even for a final deal that even if Jesus Christ is on the earth reigning, and Satan is out of the way, that man still can't obey the law that's true that we will see in the Millennium that men will not obey one of the things that will be proved out is even without the influence of Satan they will not obey uh, he talks about the, the nations that choose to worship him will be blessed the ones that don't will he will withhold uh, rain uh, and his, so that tells you that there will be rebellion uh, even in the millennial kingdom there will be there'll be sin nature present so the law will serve as a reminder right to lead them back to Christ literally to Christ, who's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, what a what an incredible thing! So every time you take that sacrifice out and you slay that lamb, if you got anything going on, and you know you can't even in the millennium, uh, if a, a Gentile or a Jew that uh, is you know in the millennium was going to realize, you know I can't even keep the law. Even, and so what are they going to realize? Man, it's Jesus sitting on the throne. It's, they're going to understand grace in a different way than we, we understand it. Uh, and so uh, but, but grace is like Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, didn't he? So even in the Old Testament, there's grace. Uh, in the, and uh, even in the, uh, in, the, in the time of the, the millennium, there'll be grace. And that law will remind them of the, of the lawgiver, right, who is God, and also the lawkeeper, which is the very Lord Jesus Christ on the throne. And, of course, the propensity... Uh, to get ritualistic and to go through the motions is going to be there, too. And some will do that. And as soon as they get an opportunity, we'll turn on Christ once again. And, uh, and of course, God will make you a quick work of that, as we see from the book of Revelation. So if you were to go to jail, uh, the only way to be released, there's only two ways. If you were to go to jail... Anybody want to in here want to volunteer to speak on that? Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, if you were to go to jail, the only way to be released is, is either mercy or justice. Right, that's the only way. And depending on what you do, justice may mean you never get out. Right. So uh, for a sinner, the law reveals God's justice, and Jesus reveals God's mercy. Right. Everybody wants justice until they're the ones convicted, then <laughs> they want mercy right? We're all like, justice, we need justice. But when you're the one on the other side and you're the one being convicted, now you want mercy, right? And so... Uh, and so there's only, there's only two sides of that. The sinner, for the sinner, the law reveals God's justice and Jesus reveal, reveals God's mercy. That's not a fill in the blank, that's just a note. So it is a fool who, understand, who understanding God's demand of the law is perfection and they are a sinner and yet refuses the perfect sacrifice for sin, believing Jesus is Savior, not trust yet not trusting Him alone for their salvation. Therein is a fool. Someone who understands that, you know what, the law just proves to me that I can't keep it. So instead of receiving the one sacrifice that can't, that is acceptable, I'm going to reject it and continue in my own efforts. That's foolishness, and so uh, that is exactly where uh, what was going on in the first century, and it goes on today, right? Of course, the whole uh, many many of, like the Catholic Church, their whole doctrine is based on a works base. Uh, system right you're trying to merit and earn favor with God instead of resting in the finished work of Christ and so there's no other name under heaven whereby uh, you must be saved. I think you guys understand that so we need to invite folks to Christ and if if we can't do that, Um, Then, man, what are we doing? So thank you for, you know, we were inviting people out to Christmas Eve service. I wrote these notes up for when we were doing Christmas Eve, so I'm a little behind. So what's the next thing? What is the next thing that you can use as a conversation starter? Uh, That's really what I want people to start thinking about. That's something we can pray about tonight, specifically in our congregation, that God would create in us and grow in us a boldness um, to, uh, and I don't mean just the handful of us that are here tonight. I mean the whole congregation would get on fire for starting gospel conversations. And, um, I mean, you can be bold and just say, I like that ASK acronym that that, uh, Brian Clark uses, right? Um, And so... um, I forgot. How, somebody give me the ask. Does anybody keep the conversation going? Oh, ask. A hey, ask permission to speak, share the gospel, and keep the conversation going. It's that simple. It's so simple I forgot and I could remember it. So you know it's got to be simple. So, uh, so, you know, just asking. Uh, looking for a, an opportunity to start conversations so uh, we have outreach events scheduled all year long coming up in 2022 uh, we have a ptsd outreach coming up right now who cares if someone needs to know about it it's a great opportunity say you know to go up to somebody and say hey we're having a ptsd uh, event at our church on this saturday would you are you interested in that they're like no i don't have any interest in that oh really well do you have an interest in the bible do you have an interest in going to church who cares just use a re- i don't care if you're talking about the chief look for a, a way to start a gospel conversation. But ultimately where are we leading them? We're to using the law lawfully. We're bringing them to the point where we want to show them, uh, if they're not already born again, that they have a need to be born again. Not only will the law c- condemn us, but the mercy of Christ will save us, right? And so Jesus Christ was condemned in our stead, and we take him to the gospel. And that's what it's all about, starting a gospel conversation. So I do like that ASK acronym, by the way, just real practical. I can I can say it in just a few seconds. Ask ASP people. Hey, may, can I share with you the gospel? I did this with a guy who came back today. He's been coming. He's been here for three weeks. You can pray for him. He sits right over there and he comes with the Bruners every Sunday. And I don't mind saying it on live television here or whatever this is um, because because I asked him in the foyer. I said, hey, sir, uh, young man, uh, can I ask you a question about your salvation? Sure. Are you saved? No, I don't. Not yet. Okay. Well, do you want to be? I'm still thinking about it. Okay, great. When you're ready, come and find me. I want to share it with you or ask uh, Mr. Bruner. And today we taught. He he was sitting right over here, and uh, Jason Bruner said, "I'm still working on him." And I mean, this kid is, he's open. So we need to be praying for that young man. His name's escaping me right now. But there's a guy sitting right here this Sunday. You think, oh, it's, you know, two degrees out. Well, whatever, nine degrees out, 19 degrees out. And there's nobody, nobody at church on Sunday. Listen, there's a guy sitting right here this morning that needs to know Jesus as Savior. And uh, and so, so we just need to ask God to give us opportunities with people like that. You just ask him, can I share it? uh and and when and if they say yeah then you go ahead and then you can share the gospel that's the s and just simply get into the gospel and then uh, maybe it's a situation where you can't just jump right into the you know the nuts and bolts or after you have they're not ready to receive it so what do you want to do you want to keep the conversation going you want to keep that young man engaged so the holy spirit can continue obviously to draw him to himself which is god's will because god's not willing that any perish but that all should come to repentance so we have examples of that right here right now i mean the Bruners are engaged actively in that action right now so it's pretty exciting so be praying for that young man, we were just in a pastor meeting uh, here just a, less than an hour ago and uh, down in Ocala Randy was down in, at uh, um, Downtown Baptist in Ocala Pastor Code Blaze and they got a cross up in their church, it's a pretty cool idea where they they have different colors for souls they're praying for and uh, and uh, as they get closer to Christ, right, they move from whatever color down here to eventually they're going to get to red when they get covered in the blood and get saved. But everybody's praying for them. I mean, they're being intentional about praying for souls. Uh, Jeremy talked about that on Wednesday night, uh, just a few weeks ago, on our Wednesday night uh, live training. So, man, I tell you what, guys, that's where it's at. And it's not just about telling people they're going to die and go to hell, turn or burn. Uh, There's a time for that, the harder the culture gets. I have been to a few places where turn or burn is the appropriate uh, way to approach it. But for the most part, you want to build a relationship with people where you can share the gospel, keep the conversation going, and and by the way, get to the gospel, right? It's offensive, people may not like it, but if you we really care about people, we're going to share the gospel, right? We're going to use the law lawfully, and we're going to help lead them to Christ. Okay, so our relationship with the law, one, is to be loving, uh, because the law is fulfilled in Christ. Two, is to, to be lawful, because the law is still useful in leading sinners to Christ. And third, our relationship with the law is to be liberating. All right, it's to be liberating uh, because this is the third thesis. Our relationship to the law should be liberating through the illumination of the glorious gospel of Christ. So I've already kind of gotten ahead of myself. But the last thing we're going to look at tonight is it says, according to the glorious gospel, the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. All right, so, <clears throat> so we see this verse here. The, the law illuminates the gospel. That's in your blank right there. The law illuminates, right? What's the word illuminate mean? Somebody throw that out week. <laughs> Right, it just shines it. Just, I love what it says in Philippians 2, right? We're to be a light in the midst of a crooked and nation. We're, we're to shine brighter and brighter as we see the day of the Lord coming, right? So the law illuminates the gospel. Jesus died to fulfill the demand of the law, and then Jesus rose the third day to reveal his authority over the law, right? So he died to fulfill the demand of the law. There had to be a sacrifice, right? There wasn't going to be mercy uh, on us, so God took our he took it out. Well, there was mercy on us. There wasn't going to be mercy on Christ. He took out his just wrath for our sin upon that substitu- substitutionary atonement, that, that man, Christ Jesus, and he became our sacrifice for sin. So Jesus died to fulfill the demand of the law, but Jesus rose the third day to reveal his authority over the law. Right? He is the lawgiver. He proved that he was God. He is the author. He is the authority, and he proved that. Which, by the way, is why he, in Philippians 2, is also the most humble person. Of all humanity, there's never been anybody more humble than the author of all, than the greatest. I mean, so with the greatness of God comes the greatest humility, which is, it just is awesome. It truly is awesome, Jeff, in the true sense of the word. Awesome humility. It's it's hard to think about how humble the God of the universe is. I mean, when you really... I don't think I'm. I don't think I can do it justice talking about it. I don't think I will be able to grasp the humility of Christ until we get to glory. Yeah, when we get to glory, and then we put all of this. You know, we just celebrated Christmas and the advent of Christ, and I think it's going to mean so much more to us when we get to glory that that He suffered. I don't even just mean on the cross. I mean just as a human to go from the third heaven. And not just to be here physically, but to become incarnate, to become a child, to grow, to, to deal with all of the things that, that we don't even know, that's not even written. You know, uh, man, what a... Talk about humility. I mean, really. I mean, did he have to do that? No, he chose to do that because that's what the Father wanted. That's what he did. So he, when he rose on the third day, right, now that's over. He is no longer, you know, the Catholics teach that he's hanging on the cross, bleeding out perpetually for us and just this unlimited atoning process that maybe you can get in on if you do enough Hail Marys and, you know, give enough money and, you know, win enough at the bingo game. I don't know. But anyway, so, uh, so that's not it. He did it once for all. It's over. Hebrews says he is the sacrifice for our sin. So Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father because he is the only just administrator of the law. Right? so he he died to fulfill the demand of the law he rose the third day to reveal his authority over the law now he sits at the right hand of the father because he is the only just administrator of the law now that is yet to be fully seen in the context of human history um, now you can see it in a in a shadow you know you look at in the Old Testament and there's a lot of shadows well right now in the world there's a shadow it's called uh, and, and this is going to be controversial. It needs to be said, though. It's Western civilization is a slight shadow because of. Uh, I was just listening to a, one of those short feeds on on uh, the other day about science. And how western, how, how the, uh, what you would learn in, in a typical history class in the Renaissance, of course, is what they call it. Or you could call it an awakening, uh, awakening spiritually with the advent of the printing press. But even before that, in the 1200s, 1300s, what really, what has, what has brought science, the scientific process to the fore and, uh, and, and brought, uh, the advances is a, a fundamental understanding of the law of, of uh, the word of God that the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is the creator of all and that this Bible especially in the, once you add the New Testament there are processes and patterns that God has established once you start with that, if you know anything about math, you got to start with constants right, if I personally I used to do uh, you know HVAC equations and before that I did a lot of calculations for um uh, Cable television. And it's interesting. It's a fascinating thing. I, I didn't know this until I wasn't a super mathematician. I was actually, that's why I was never like going down the road of being a degreed engineer. I'm definitely more of a project manager. Um, advanced math is not for me. But, you know, I could get up through trig and that's about where I need to jump off and let you other smart people go. But uh, but at the end of the day, you know what I learned in the business world? Is the same, there were these processes. Have you ever noticed that? Anyone here good at math? I mean, are you good at math? Oh, anyone just horrible at math? All right, so I get it. not everybody 's good at math, but if if you get into math, what you learn is there's systems there's systematic ways that, that math kind of repeats itself. I learned that in HVAC where I could run certain algorithms and certain certain equations, and depending on what it was I was doing uh, it's very I found out that the equations that I was using to calculate uh, the loss of microwave. A signal radiation through a, a coaxial cable. Now this may be boring to you but I would use these these equations um, and you have constants right you have constants and then you have variables and you you plug in these variables and you have these constants and you have this much leakage and you have this much and it's just a system. And guess what? You get to the end and it all works out. Mathematically, it can be proven. That scientific process, that didn't start because men are so smart. Um, it's, it's, it's really come to the fore, the advances, because it started with a constant named God. So uh, you see these processes. Rather, you're, you're, you're doing liquids. Through a pipe, there's still friction. There's loss. There's head pressure. You put it through air with a fan. There's friction. There's loss. There's—they call it different things. And I'm boring you guys with details. But the point is, there's these processes. These processes. Why? Because God has given us gravity. Nine point whatever eight or 0.98 point nine eight, whatever it is per second, uh, gravity on the planet. I learned that in physics, right? You get all these things that are absolutely fixed. Why? Because God created it. He is the creator of all. It is constant. It is not what you imagine it to be. It is what God says it is. And when you start with God, the creator, it starts to put things in order, so you can start discovering what the creator created. So I just happened to listen to this the other day. It's very fascinating, and uh, and they made a, a strong case for... for all of Western civilization's advancements because of this, what they would call today, the Judeo-Christian understanding of creation, starting with the the big picture. That, uh, you know, we're not pagans, uh, that uh, that chair doesn't have life of its own, that it all comes from God, And we are created in the image of God. We are not animals, right? We are unique. And that God gives us understanding on his creation because we're stewards of it. You start with those basic principles. And then you got a guy like George Washington Carver who takes a peanut uh, down here in southern Missouri. And he lays it down and he says, Lord, you know, just give me wisdom. You created this thing. Let me look at it. And he starts examining the peanut. The next thing you know, I don't remember how many uh, different uh, inventions came out of George Washington Carver's peanut discoveries, but they were quite prolific. You know, he's a famous scientist in his own right. It has nothing to do with the, with the fact that he was an African American. He's just a stinking Christian guy who took a peanut and asked God and said, God, show me something about a peanut. The next thing you know, you know, he's famous because uh, he was so incredibly creative. And so and so, guys, the that's talk, I'm talking about The illumination, right? The illumination that comes through Christ. Jesus died to fulfill the demands of the law. Jesus rose the third day to reveal his authority over the law. He sits at the right hand of the Father because he is the only just administrator of the law. So today we live in a world, right, where um, it used to be there were monarchies. um, And now there is a democracy movement. But the problem with either one of them is what? It's humanity. You're never going to find a righteous king other than Christ. And when you put the government in people's hands, of course, our founding fathers in this country were super wise to try to balance it all because they knew that both the leaders and the people were wicked. So they just put it in a cycle. And and they knew John Quincy Adams, or not John Quincy, John Adams, I believe it was, or Madison knew that if, it, if the issue would have to be the morality of the people. You can't have a republic form of government without with immoral people. Constantly, you got you got to have the gospel going forth because. G- Jesus is the only thing that makes it work. He is the righteous standard. And so when it comes to governing, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And before it gets better, it's going to get worse. Because there are men and there are women in this world today who actually believe that we're created from monkeys. They actually believe that they can rule this world uh, better than God. And uh, they do not yield to God. They do not honor God. They do not believe in God. And guess what? They'll reap what they sow. But we're not those people. We know what the Bible We ha- We are illuminated. We have understanding. We're not the Illuminati. That's a different group. But we are illuminated through the word of God. So Jesus died to fulfill the law, uh, to, to fill the demand of the law. Jesus rose the third day to reveal his authority over the law. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father because he is the only just administrator of the law. The day will come when Jesus will literally have to stop everything and come back and take over. And that will happen in Revelation 19. The law illuminates the gospel because the creator of the law fulfilled it instead of manipulating it. Let me say that twice. The law illuminates the gospel because the creator of the law fulfilled it instead of manipulating it. Now, I'm not just throwing that out there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just flip over there real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Uh, Does somebody want to read that? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and read verses uh, 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. Not all at once. Slow down. Just one person. ...for if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, or in whom the God of this <laughs> world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Amen. Okay, so Ron... The last statement? The law illuminates the gospel because the creator of the law fulfilled it instead of manipulating it. So the law illuminates the gospel because the creator of the law fulfilled it instead of manipulating it. And so, uh, you know, Paul said to the Corinthians, if our gospel be hid... Who's it hid to? Those that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded them, which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, back in our text, in First Timothy chapter one, verse eleven, according he says to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Right now, he says that after going through this list from verse 5 through 10 and and, and really touching on five of the Ten Commandments. That law illuminates uh, the gospel. And he gets down to verse 11. He says, according to the glorious gospel. It's such a contrast because only Jesus Christ could keep the law. He didn't manipulate the law. He kept the law. He's the only one who could. And so we now have that gospel, that glorious gospel. And if it be hid, it is hid to them that are lost right and this is really this really uh years ago i stumbled into a calvinistic debate i didn't even understand or know about praise god i just believed the bible i was preaching it all the time just using the verses at my disposal and uh and i walked into a situation where this discussion about uh predestination and all of that you know arose and and I just, just off the couple of verses, you know, John 3, 16, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It seems to me like there's an opportunity there to make a decision, right? If there's no opportunity to make a decision, there's no love. So God gives us that ability. He, For goodness sake, we're created. Adam was the son of God. It says in Luke chapter three, I believe. And so we have this capacity to reason and think and to choose. And so it takes nothing away from God's holiness. It takes nothing away from who god is or his character um and so uh you get to this passage in second corinthians chapter four and i don't know you can't i don't even know how you can justify this robotic mechanical you know uh super predestination concept that is comes from uh it comes out of uh greek philosophy and was brought in through uh, augustine um in uh, in rome but uh, at any rate and then uh, what's his name john calvin ended up making it his thesis and then mark driscoll a few years later who now rejects it but anyway uh this is this is what the text says if our gospel be hid it's hid to them that are lost in whom the god of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not it seems to me like there's even some influence of the dark one, right? Of, of of the God of this world, small G. Satan has influence over people. People have there's this is an active this is an active battlefield. This is a hot landing zone. Lest the light of the glorious gospel who is the image of God should shine unto them, right? The less the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Christ is the light of the world. And there is an active battle between good and evil between people understanding and receiving the gospel and our uh, need to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. And so uh, there's no doubt about it. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, there's a battle over light and darkness. And, and, and it's, it's on. It's on right now. And so we need to be engaged in that. And we have to make a decision, right? When we get saved, we get born into this battle for good and evil. And when we don't do our part, we understand we're giving way to the God of this world. Because it's not just given that whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved. There's, we have a stake in it. The, one of the reasons we like to get away from that is it takes away our responsibility after we are saved to do what God has called us to do, which is get the glorious gospel where it needs to go on time, using the law lawfully to illuminate this dark world without becoming legalist and manipulating uh, God's law. Uh, to put people under our authority the whole point of the gospel is not to bring people under our authority, it's to bring people to Christ's authority and let the law of the love change them uh, from the inside out, that's what illuminates them and gets the gospel where it needs to go on time, and so, is that making sense to what I'm saying? I hope you guys are following me Uh, the law illuminates the gospel but the gospel itself is illuminating Uh, and there is an active battle, the law illuminates the gospel because the creator of the law fulfilled it instead of manipulating it Right, You cannot manipulate the law. You can't work it enough to get to become righteous. It's just not going to happen. But Jesus Christ fulfilled it. And then when he did that, now he is the light of the world. All right, so point B, and we'll be done. We have been entrusted with the glorious gospel, which is my point. We've been entrusted with the glorious gospel too. T-O-O exclamation point. So we may uh, be free from the law, but we're now bound to the gospel. All right, we're free from the law. And we are. I mean, we are not under the law. But we are bound to the gospel. The gospel is what we... His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Doug touched on it this morning. We just saw that, you know what? In verse uh, 4 of 2 Corinthians 4, Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Our job is to get the light of Christ to this lost world. And it's an active battle against darkness. We are bound to the gospel. Paul says, you know what? Uh, I don't know about y'all, but, uh, you know, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel of Christ. Woe unto me. And that's what we're here to do. Paul said, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2, 4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, so also we speak, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. So the gospel... Tries our hearts, it puts us on trial, and it and it shows what's really on the inside. And you know, I, I, this is practical. We can pray for this as we're entering uh, uh, 2022, and we're dealing with so my arms getting tired, and we're dealing with. Uh, I got a tripod. I'll put it up next time if we need to do this again. But um, when we get into 2022, you know, we're going to be we're being intentional with the I Go Ministry and uh, and all of those things. But at the end of the day, it's so important that that we really um, put our own selves on trial and i know for me it's easier to come here and preach to the choir sometimes than it is to go out and look for intentional conversations and try to share the gospel you if you're if you're like me you know there's a wall you know there's a you can talk about the chiefs losing by the way what a margin and they lost today you can talk about the the weather you can talk about you can talk about christmas um generically but when it comes to the gospel wow it's like there's this magical wall. And uh, it is spiritual. And you know what? We need to be engaged in that. Because not everybody has the privilege of engaging in that. That is God put it there for us to do. He's entrusted us with the gospel. Even so, we speak. So there has to be some intentionality of speaking the gospel. And uh, we need to be about the business. Not pleasing men. Not pleasing ourselves, or not pleasing those who would be like, you know what, that's that's not something we talk about here at the office. You know, politics and religion. Okay, well you can keep your politics and your religion, but let me talk about Jesus, right? He's the light of the world. And so, uh, I'm not interested in politics or religion either. Let's talk about Jesus. Because that, I tell you what, that'll upset people's apple cart. Because what you're doing is introducing light into a dark world. And you're bringing light. And the law law of the conscience, if not even the law of Moses, the law of the conscience will convict people. And our job isn't to leave them convicted. Our job is to bring them mercy through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes conviction has to come before they can receive the mercy. Not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. The gospel puts our hearts on trial. And uh, and so I've been very convicted about that. Uh, what I don't want to do here at Heartland is have, we have like 60-some disciples. Um, and probably, you can pray about this too, some of them don't even tithe. And so, um, and so uh, man, we need to be in prayer that we get healthy in the regard. People who teach the Word of God should live of the Word of God. And we need to we need to be sharing the gospel. What hypocrites are we to sit around and work through a systematic theology lesson, 16 lessons, on God's character and God's will and all these principles about God, and never lift a finger to lead someone to Christ? I mean, come on! What a joke! We become hypocrites like the Pharisees, and then get in a plane and go to Oaxaca or India or Europe or Africa or Asia to win those people, to, those lost people to Christ somewhere else, but we won't open our mouth at work or here in the office, at school, at church, in the community. I mean, come on. And so God forbid that be us at HBF, you know, and I pray that won't be us. We've got a lot to be responsible for. And so it's very important. So be praying about that, too. Something else to pray for. Uh, on the uh, 19th of the month of February, uh, Gary Haskell is going to come in and challenge us as a church on discipleship. And so pray that we are ready to receive the word and uh, and uh, the charge that God gives us. So in wrapping up here, uh, it is uh, our relationship with the law. It's to be loving because the law is fulfilled in Christ. Our relationship to the law is to be... Um, Lawful, because the law is still useful in leading sinners to Christ, and our relationship with the law is to be liberating because of the illumination of the gospel of Christ. So love and light are two things this world needs, and the law used lawfully will reveal both, the love of Christ and the light of Christ. And what motivates someone uh, who has everything to give anything is love. Right love is the motive is what motivates us to share Christ, and the law is what motivates sinners to receive Christ. So love is what motivates us to share Christ. And the law is what motivates sinners to receive Christ, and that is true. Of course, that's not to say the love of Christ doesn't do that as well, but it is—it's how that's how we see the love of Christ is the fact that He kept the law and that we are not condemned when we trust Him, which I know I'm speaking to the choir, so uh, praise the Lord. Are there any questions on any of the things that we've covered? It's time to do a a breakdown and get to praying. So if you're joining us online tonight, which I have a couple people, we're glad that you joined us. Uh, I don't know who you are, but I'm glad you're joining us. Uh, If you want to get in touch with us, if you don't know us, go to hbfcast.org, and you can contact us. Uh, This is our Sunday night prayer service. If you need a prayer, you can also email me or contact us on that webpage, and we'll pray for you. We're fixing to go to prayer. We're going to do that in private, so we appreciate you being here with us. God bless you. We'll see you next time. All right. So. That went out to a couple people. So, uh. Don't forget to record. Yeah, I need that. I need that off, too. I should have.